0: The word faith is often used interchangeably with the word religion, as in, a system of faith shared by a group of people. The word faith is often used also interchangeably with the word hope, as in, do you have faith to go forward? The word faith is also often used interchangeably with the word belief, as in, what do you have faith in? But no matter the words, the actual feeling, the visceral in the gut, in your heartbeat, beyond words, feeling of faith, that is as different as each person in this room. And all the different places and times, each one has stood on a precipice or faced a long road. Allow me to pose three general truths about faith. One, faith allows you to cope with hardship such as bullying at school or bullying on the world stage. It also helps you cope with hardships such as weather catastrophe and climate catastrophe. A second general truth I would pose about faith is that faith evolves over a lifetime. We are almost always a little bit out of sync in matching our faith with our actions. And hence, there is a constant readjustment going on to see whether we need to shift our actions to fit our beliefs or shift our beliefs to fit our actions. The third general truth I would pose about faith is that the opposite of faith is to have no worldview. And hence, no hope or fabric of meaning to hold things together when things happen that are beyond our understanding. Another way to ask a question about faith is to ask, what do you have faith in? Now, a person might say they have faith in the unfolding cycles of life and that gives them strength to get up on rainy days because they know there are sunny days ahead. A person might say they have faith in the goodness of humankind, and so they invest themselves in cultivating that goodness in children, trusting that the next generation can make good choices for the planet. A person might say they have faith in the harmony of nature, and hence arrange their lifestyle to adapt with seasons, fellow creatures, and work for economic structures that are also sustainable in all of creation. Those are just three examples of having faith in something and how it leads to doing things. But where does faith come from? Can a person think their way into faith? Can they try to have faith in something they've heard about? Or does faith just happen? So to explore those questions, I'd like to share three stories from people who shared about their faith journeys. And Debbie, I'm going to ask you to hand me that black bag behind you. So Leah suggested this book to me. This is a book that Leah had on her shelf. It's called Faith Beyond Belief, Stories of Good People Who Left Their Church Behind. So one of these stories is by a man named Charles. Charles was raised Catholic. His dad, in fact, had done the training to be a Jesuit, but then left right before he was ordained. And it wasn't until much, much later in his life that Charles actually thought to ask his dad, why did you leave the Jesuits? And that was when his father was able to talk to him about his faith journey. So I encourage all of you to think about someone that you're close to, and in the next week, ask them about their faith journey. But the significant thing, one of the things that jumped out to me in Charles's story was something that happened at the place where he was going as a Catholic. There is a ceremony that happens in some Catholic churches called the blessing of the animals. Now this may harken back to when people were in an agrarian economy. They relied on animals for food and to move their carts and so they wanted those animals blessed they wanted them to be well but now that we tend to live more in and many people live in an, an urban setting some catholic churches have been doing a blessing of the pets so this guy Charles as a leader in his catholic church he went to the priest and he said priest can we have a blessing of the pets and the priest said no Because at that other church down the road, did you hear what happened after the blessing of the pets? One of the women wanted her poodle to receive Eucharist and Holy Communion. (laughs) So Eucharist and Holy Communion are the bread and the wine that are a significant religious connection to Jesus. And so it's kind of funny to think about a poodle up in the front of the church receiving the bread and the wine. It's kind of funny on first thought, but this guy Charles thought about that some more. He was a veterinarian and he was a vegetarian. And he said to the priest, "You know, I kind of think it's cool that that woman cares so much about her dog and her faith that she want her dog to receive the bread and the wine." The priest replied, the priest did not reply that strongly, (laughs) but I am wishing them well. Um, The priest replied, the sacrament, that ceremony of the bread and the wine will not work because the human soul and the animal soul are different. Well, this caused a crisis of faith for Charles, veterinarian and vegetarian. He did more reading, he did more study, and he concluded that humans are not much different from non-human animals, except for the size and complexity of our brains. And he writes, as for a soul I pondered, when exactly during evolution or gestation would the eternal human soul become infused into our bodies. After reflection and study, he eventually concluded that he did not need to believe in a soul or a God, but simply in doing good for other beings. He wrote, It boils down to empathy. Well, this left him with a dilemma. Because his friends were Catholic. That's who he'd been hanging out with when he wasn't at work. And so he needed a new name for himself. So he went online, and he looked at atheist chat rooms. And he found, in his opinion, a lot of those people were bitter and angry about religion. He didn't want to call himself an atheist. He did more reading and he eventually concluded i call myself a secular humanist because it is about learning to live with reason and intent but without having to rely on deities promises of external reward threats of punishment or concern for the next life so that was charles's story i'd like to tell you another story from a gentleman named david David also was a reader, he read evolutionary theory, he read critique of the Bible, and he decided it just did not make sense that all the things that happened in the Bible, that a loving God would do those things. So he decided that he didn't believe in the Bible. What he did decide is that all creation is connected He decided that after reading Mathematicians and here's how he came up with it. He thought of it like a soap bubble, a soap bubble. So I'm curious how many people here sometimes have washed the dishes in the kitchen sink and there's a whole bunch of bubbles, yeah? And so when he looked at those bubbles He said, isn't it amazing that you can have a droplet of soapy water and then some air comes along and makes it a big soapy bubble and then when the air goes away, it becomes a droplet of water. It's all the same. It's just changing form. And furthermore, he said when he looks at it, he sees little swirls of color moving about in the soapy bubble. They may look like individual swirls because of how the light hits them, but they are part of the whole. And so he asks himself could this be also true for all of creation? Is it possible that before any of us existed, before the trees, the rocks, the earth, before any of this existed, there was something that we could call the creator? And the creator was there all alone. But the creator was lonely. The creator wanted something else. And so the creator didn't have anything. He didn't have any wood or clay or fabric or a sewing machine. He didn't have his Legos. So the creator used the creator's very own essence to begin to create nature And creatures and hence the way David makes sense of things is that the universe is the Creator and we are part of the Creator as well David was also an athlete he was training for a triathlon and while biking he had a very very bad accident He spent a number of months in the hospital. He had a number of surgeries. And during that time, he had a dream about all the times in his life that he had been mean to other people, especially, and he really wrote this in this book, especially on the playground as a child. And that dream, after he got out of the hospital, helped him change the way he lived his life. And he wrote, I came to see how much I depend on others and how much they depend on me. I came to see how each moment of time is precious and that possessions do not determine our inherent value. Now I am more focused on respect and love for my fellow living beings. So that's the second story. Now the third story that I'd like to share with you is from our very own congregation. For the last number of years, teenagers in this congregation have gone to a different region of our state, or the next state over, West Virginia, as part of the Appalachian Service Project. And when they come back, they stand in this very pulpit and they tell stories about building walls, meeting families, working hard together, painting walls, relaying floors, and they learn about what they discovered about their own strength, about human beings who are different but similar, about their capacity to put their love into action. And it's not only this congregation that does that kind of faith in action. The National Unitarian Universalist Association has a a part of itself called the UU College of Social Justice. It's not a college that's a building where you go to and get a degree. It is trips where people learn experientially together and reflect on their faith in action. They learn and grow together. So what I'm hoping that you take away from those three examples is that faith is something that grows and changes. It happens alone and in groups. And it can have many different names. There's a German theologian named Dorothy Sulla who pointed out that faith... Without doubt is not stronger, it is simply more ideological. What she's trying to say there is if one person has faith with no doubt, she's saying that's ideological. A person who has faith with doubt can have an equally strong faith. Another theologian, Paul Razor, who lives down the road in Norfolk, says, faith without certainty is not the same as faith without conviction. So I have another show and tell for you. Faith Without Certainty by Paul Razor is one of the books that I was required to read in seminary, and when I was dipping back into it the last few days, I highly recommend it to anyone who sits with these questions. I'm going to put all these books up here after the service. You can come look at them. So we can see from the stories of Charles and David that faith happens to people unexpectedly all the time and faith falls apart unexpectedly all the time. I'm guessing that many of you have had bouts of feeling like your faith fell apart, and you responded by reading philosophy and theology, you responded by asking various friends and mentors about their beliefs. Perhaps you were alone wondering and wandering with discomfort but excitement about leaving behind an old belief system as you made sense of a new one. These periods of discovery can be very lonely. Our pews here today are full of people who have known such lonely times. And history books are full of stories from religious leaders who struggled through doubt and uncertainty. This can be especially lonely when one feels separate from one's community, family, friends, or spouse. One of the men in that first book, he wrote this. He said, my wife is still religious, and I still go to church with her once in a while. My wife calls my deconversion a midlife crisis. At least I didn't go off and have an affair or buy a fancy sports car. (laughs) Here is why it can be helpful to be in community with others. And I I think of it this way. I don't know how many of you guys have gone into bumper cars, like at a fair... You're in this little car, and you're driving around, and there's bumpers, but you're not hurting anybody, because it's all softened. And that's what I think of this congregation and a faith community like. People are exploring, they're bumping into each other, but we have these classes, these covenant groups, these worship times, these midweek meditations that help us to soften that wandering. So if being in community together can be so helpful to a person's faith journey, does that mean that everyone in a religious group needs to have the same faith? And quite specifically, here in this congregation or in our National Unitarian Universalist Association, does everyone need to have the same faith? I would say, yes, we need to have faith that people with different beliefs can get along and work together to heal the world. There is a religious educator in Oakland named Leela Ibrahim, and I'm going to show you one more show and tell. Actually, two more. For those of you who are wondering how a national faith can hold together with different beliefs, enough people wondered that that the National Office commissioned a study in 2005, and they studied and surveyed people and came up with this document, Engaging Our Theological Diversity. It's a good read. And then finally, here's one more book that Leah suggested to me, Fluent in Faith, a Unitarian Universalist Embrace of Religious Language. Here's what I'd like to leave you with. This religious educator in Oakland, and you can find that in this book, she boils it down to this. It is a blessing each of us was born. What each of us knows about God is a piece of the truth. It matters what we do with our lives. We don't have to do it alone. Let us reflect in silence together.